Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Kevin Davis. Uh, he's a podcaster himself. He has our Ketogenic Life podcast. So I wanted to talk to him and uh, learn more about uh, ketogenic lifestyle and what he does. So, Kevin, thanks for coming. Hey, Richard. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your, your background. How did you first learn about uh, the ketogenic lifestyle and you know how long have you been working on it or, or adhering to that diet? Well, it's an interesting story. I'm a physician assistant. I've been in practice for uh, since 1994. So we were trained in the model of, you know, eating low fat, uh, trying to, you know, watch our calories, eating quite often. And uh, about five years ago, six years ago, my wife, uh, she was having some inflammatory problems with joints and uh, went to uh, see somebody. Uh, We sent her to a rheumatologist and they said nothing was wrong with her, but she didn't feel well. So she started actually researching, you know, uh, how to control inflammation. And she came across uh, something called a ketogenic diet. And, uh, you know, uh, my wife being the better half of myself is uh, she said, well, this seems like it, it may work. And of course, when I first started looking at that, I'm thinking, no, that goes against everything I was trained against. So actually, I, I kind of set out to kind of prove her wrong to say that, you know, this isn't the right thing to do. But the, the thing about it is, is the more that I researched it, the more it made sense. Uh, if you look at it from a scientific standpoint, as far as how foods interact in your body, because that's not something we're taught a lot in school. Uh, so after researching for two or three months, we started doing it together. And uh, we've been doing that for almost five years, and we've been doing it ever since. What did you notice when you did it, um, you know, in the first few weeks? And then what have you noticed longer term? Well, that was the thing is, you know, a lot of times we go to a ketogenic type lifestyle and uh, we look at the short term results. And obviously, the first couple of months uh, we lost weight. I personally lost 25 pounds. And uh, after adhering to, you know, a pretty much a strict ketogenic diet for a couple of months. And my wife, uh, she noticed that her inflammation, things like uh, joint pains and uh, headaches and those type of symptoms that you see with a lot of inflammation, uh, both of those, uh, all those type, kind of symptoms actually uh, decreased where, you know, she could uh, function at a, a higher level. So doing the ketogenic diet, a lot of times people, right, even to this day, will come to me knowing that uh, are wanting to have a weight loss. That's usually a primary concern. But over the last five years, because I continue to study this, this is not something I just looked at for three or four months and did it and did not look back. I've, I've studied more on this probably than I have a lot of things in my career. And the more research that I do to as far as chronic diseases, when I say chronic diseases, I want to say things like uh, heart disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Uh, Even things like developing diabetes, the long-term medical problems that we have, uh, almost across the board, the ketogenic diet helps. So now, 
again, most people come to me for weight loss, and I think that's great. But I'm looking at the underlying uh, things that are going in their body, the metabolic problems. So, you know, uh, I see that if they're having symptoms of some kind of long-term disease like joint pains, if they're, especially if they have a family history of something, if they're on medication, you know, signs of insulin resistance or diabetes, I know that by putting them on a ketogenic diet, I'm going to help reverse some of these things that are going on. And ultimately, that's my goal is uh, to increase not only uh, their health span, but also our health span. It's to me, it's not a aim just to live longer. Everybody wants to live longer, but, you know, God's going to call us home when he calls us home. But our goal and the thing that keeps us going and keeps uh, us progressing towards better health is we want to live a lifespan or a life uh, that includes health. So, you know, we want to be 75, 80, 90, whatever it may be, and live healthy up until that time, be able to do the things that we want to do. And it all starts right now. Well, the things that we do now are going to determine the kind of health we have later on. So uh, I've had people uh, just last week, you know, uh, again, I always tell everybody this. I'm not giving anybody medical advice, by the way. All right. This is something you need to talk to your provider. Uh, I forgot to say that at the beginning, but I see this stuff every day. I see uh, uh, last uh, week there was a lady who came to me three months ago with diabetes and her A1C, which is an average of your blood sugar over three months, was really high. Her, Her average probably was like you know, 300 plus, which is pretty high if, if your listeners know diabetes any, of anything. You mean the blood sugar was 300 plus on average? Yes. Holy cow. So, and that's like an A1C of like 12 or 13. I can't remember exactly what her Jeez. number was. And uh, she was here in my clinic a couple of weeks ago and uh, with diet and uh, one medication, uh, her A1C came down to like 5.8. And anything less than 5.6 is normal. So it's just amazing the things that you can control with your diet as far as your health is concerned. I I think a lot of people don't realize how powerful it is, the decisions they make every day on what they eat and what they don't eat and how it can control and affect their bodies, how they feel every day, how they sleep. And it's just, you know, if I could just get that message across to people that it's not a lost cause, it's not something that you don't have, you're diagnosed with diabetes and, you know, you got a death sentence or, you're, you know, you've got this problem. You have control over some of these things. And uh, the sooner that you start, the better off you're going to be. What are some of the, um, the difficult cases? You know, when people try to do the ketogenic diet, are there some that just don't get, and I'm not just talking about weight loss, but. Does everyone get results? What kind of people seem to have problems with it? And if so, what are their problems? Like, what are the, you know, I I hate to ask you that. Normally, I just want to ask you about the mainstream, but I, you know, I've asked a lot of people that. So I want to ask about the outliers you've seen and what your thoughts are on why they're outliers. Uh, Probably, this is no offense, if my wife was sitting here, she would agree with me that uh, females are a little bit more difficult. And I think it has to do with hormones. So let me back up a little bit. Men across the board, if they would do this, you know, it's pretty much age independent. They do really well. Females who are in their, you know, say 45 or less, they're not perimental or postmenopausal. They're, you know, they're having their regular cycles. They do really well. 
the subset that really has a little bit more difficulty and I have to kind of do a little bit more individualized coaching is the perimenopausal, meaning people like ladies that are in roughly age 50 and postmenopausal. And a lot of that has to do because of the hormones. The ketogenic diet, which I don't know how much you know about the ketogenic diet, but I've been on it oh, a few years ago. I went on it because I uh-huh. had uh, thyroid cancer and I wanted to make sure that I did everything I could to slow its progression and be healthy. And I, I didn't end up losing about 40 pounds over, you know, six, seven months. And that's awesome. I had a lot of different experiences with it. So the, the hormones, when you, well, let me finish that about the peri and postmenopausal. A lot of it has to do with hormones as far as the way that they eat and doing a cycle as far as the ketogenic. Uh, there's some more carb up days is what we call them uh, during those times. And we try to do those certain days of the month uh, so that the hormones can reset and stabilize. Because uh, if you have female listeners here and they're, uh, you know, going through menopause or they're after menopause, they know certain times of the month they feel better and sometimes they don't. And a lot of that is just, it's not mental. It's a physical uh, symptoms that has to do with their hormones. So what we try to do is pair their diet up with their hormones and uh, try to optimize their treatment. Because with the ketogenic diet, if you go back to trying to lose weight, you know, the, the hormones are what is affected. It's not about calories in, calories out. It's about what you eat and how it affects your hormone. And one of the main hormones that, that it affects is your insulin. And uh, your insulin, we call that your fat storage hormone. And the reason that we do a ketogenic diet is if you think about insulin as a fat storage hormone, if you eat carbs and sugar, it's going to raise your insulin level. And when you raise your insulin level, you have fat storage. If you feed your body fat, it doesn't raise your insulin level. And you don't have that fat storage process going on because you start changing from being a sugar burner to a fat burner. And that's what we call one of our memberships is a fat burners academy. So when you're talking about weight loss, it's it has to do with your hormones. And we can't just, I always use insulin because I think that's one of the main drivers, but there's other hormones involved as well. Uh, there's hormones like cortisol. Uh, there's your male and female hormones. There's your thyroid hormone. Uh, there's a hormone uh, called ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone. You got a hormone coming from your fat cells called leptin, and that's your satiety hormone. So when you affect one hormone, there's a cascading effect affecting these other hormones. So that's why I think it's a little bit more difficult with uh, perimenal and postmenopausal women is because you're you're trying to get that delicate balance between all these hormones because all these hormones, any hormone I just mentioned, neither one of these are good or bad. But what we have to strive for is a balance. And it's amazing what you can do with your diet. And we do a lot of fasting protocols what you can do with your with your hormones just by changing your diet when you eat and how much you eat. For women, have you been able to figure out how they should eat like ketogenic eating for women during different times of their cycle? Mm-hmm. Have you looked into that and have you figured out any uh, any knowledge there? Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, there's not a one size fit all. It's more of a ongoing process to try to figure out each and everybody. But there is a certain time of the month, like the first couple of months, you can do more fasting. Uh, you can do uh, more lower carb. Uh, the second part of their month, then we're talking about like at 14 days after they've had their start of their period, you need to do more carb up days and less fasting. Just what, does mean, what does that mean, uh, carb updates? Like on a ketogenic diet, uh, we 
do we recommend around 20 carbs per day uh, you know five maybe 10 or less percent of your total calories come from uh, carbs so on those days that we say carb up then we're eating things like a sweet potato or something like that some good carbs we're not out eating cookies and candies and things like that but we will go up to 100 carbs uh, on somebody and mm. uh, that helps reset their hormones uh, so that, you know, the, the thing that I try to do all the time with anybody that I work with, and we call our site is called Our Ketogenic Life, because we want a lifestyle that people can do this for years to come. If we need to do carb up days to help people get to the results that they want and continue to progress towards better health, then that's where we work with them at. You know, I have some people who I say eat 20 carbs and they, man, they just eat 20 carbs. They don't, they don't stray from it. But a lot of people, it's hard sometimes. And if you're talking about hormones, which you're talking about a woman's physiology, then it's not just about willpower. You have to address those issues so that someone can continue doing this kind of lifestyle because what we talked about earlier, the long-term benefits of doing a ketogenic lifestyle, the more research that is being done, and I read this on a regular basis, it's just amazing long-term how the benefits that you can get from it. So if we can get somebody started on a ketogenic diet, get results, and teach them how to continue doing a ketogenic diet so it can fit their lifestyle, then, you know, uh, everybody's a winner. Yeah, that makes total sense. Long term, what uh, do things seem to settle in for your your listeners, you know, for the people that go on this program and they just get used to it, that's how they eat? And they're totally fine, or do they still um, experience like problems occasionally? Like what happens long term? Well, I don't. I don't know. I always use this as an example of, and everybody probably knows somebody who smoked and they've quit ten years, but they still crave a cigarette every now and then. And again, that has to do with some serotonin and dopamine in your brain. You, you start thinking about it; it gets released. So, an uh, example from me, our life personally, uh, when someone goes from a standard American diet to a ketogenic diet, a lot of times there's some cravings that people have. And probably for the first year, uh, my wife and I, we had, we created things in, and kept them in our freezers called fat bombs. And if you don't know what a fat bomb in is, bomb, it, it, you can look um, online and just type in fat bomb. Uh, but it's pretty much something just made of fat. And it has like some sugar substitutes and some dark chocolate or something like that. And for the first year, I would at nighttime feel like I wanted to eat something. And we would have those in our freezer because you have to keep them in your freezer or they'll melt. And we would have, I'd have one or two every night. That mm. was five years ago. After about a year, and I didn't realize this, I didn't plan it, but after a year or so, we got to the point where I can't remember the last time we made one because oh. it becomes just like any kind of other lifestyle. It gets ingrained. This is who I am. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. This is what I do. And uh, it, I'm not the old person that I used to be. So if people can be uh, helped, in, especially in a community setting, if they're surrounding their people or their selves with people who are like-minded and they do this for six to eight months, I find that they can continue doing it. If they try to do it just short term and just kind of like jump into it without, you know, having some kind of support system, it's a little bit harder. You can do it, but it's a little bit harder to do it that way. But uh, 
most people who who were will work with us, uh, especially in our, you know that we've had in our clinic that have done it, they are, they are continuing to do it to this day. Yeah, I noticed when I first started, I would be like ravenous, mm-hmm. and I could eat crazy amounts of stuff and still be hungry like twenty minutes later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that calmed down, but it took probably like a month or so. If you feed yourself, and it goes back to your hormones, uh, if you're eating enough fat, and I don't know exactly what you were eating, but uh, if you're eating enough fat, it actually suppresses ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, and you're, you're not as hungry. And uh, well, we I was always- having a, a lot of protein. I mean, I was having fat, but I was also having like probably more protein than I should have. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I remember I would, one night I had like six scrambled eggs, you know, like tomato soup, plain tomato soup, and like. Mm-hmm. Bacon, I don't know, whatever it was. And I, I, you know, like 20 minutes later, I was hungry again. I was like, man, what's it going to take? <laughs> One thing I thought about, um, you know, people are encouraged to have a lot more fat and proteins and, you know, very little sugar and things mm-hmm. like that on the ketogenic diet and carbs. But um, how do people like unintentionally sabotage themselves? Like, you know, you can easily, I think, fool yourself if you're having a lot of fat, but you also have some sugar with it. Mm-hmm. Could that have a negative effect? Oh, or definitely. yes, you're having a lot of fat, but even a little amount of sugar, could that really, could that turn the fat to fat instead of, uh, you know, making it be stored instead of being uh, used for energy? Well, you eat because your body needs energy. In the easiest way, uh, in the way your body's been trained probably since, you know, everybody was little is to burn sugar as energy. And when you are burning sugar as ener- energy, it goes back to your insulin level. And uh, when you take in some food and you're just you have some sugar in it, then your body is going to use that for energy. If you also eat fat with fat, then your body's going to, you know, you have to think about like 300 years ago. Uh, we didn't have grocery stores and restaurants in every corner. Sometimes people would, you know, have a feast and then they may go two or three days without eating. And that's the way God made our body is to be able to survive. The, the problem that we have is if when you eat sugar and you eat fat together, that's a deadly combination because your body uses that sugar for energy that you need right then. And it's going to say, hey, we need to store this uh, fat in our liver as fat just in case we need it. Now, if we lived 300 years ago, that was great because you may go a couple of days without eating. You break down that fat that's in your liver for energy, which we call ketones. And then you're able to uh, continue to live. The problem that we have now is we eat sugar, we eat fat, and we don't miss the next day's meal. We do the same thing, and it keeps adding to your fat content in your body, either in your fat cells or your liver, your muscles, or somewhere through, you know, wherever it needs to go. So actually doing both of those, eating sugar and fat, and if you look at the combination of food that we have in America, most of those will have both of those in there. And that's actually probably the worst thing you could do. You mentioned eating a lot of protein. You know, eating uh, protein is important as you grow older because you need to keep your muscle mass. But when you're eating a lot of protein, that's more like an Atkins diet that was, you know, several years ago. And the thing with Atkins diet and why I like the ketogenic diet better is because when you're doing an Atkins diet, if you're eating excess protein, your body doesn't need that for energy and it'll store it because everything gets broken down to sugar in your body. It'll store that excess sugar as fat. Let's say I'm on a ketogenic plan and, and I choose like 30 carbs a day. 
Mm-hmm. When should I have those carbs? Should I have them before meals, after meals, with the meals? When do you guess that they would be the least impactful? You know, I've got to have some. I'm not. A, I don't have iron will. So when should I have them? Day or night? You know, again, before, or after, during meals. When will they be least impactful to me? I think eating them in the evening time is the best time. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. Most of the time during the daytime, if you could uh, just eat you know, like the protein and the fat and then the carbs, if you're eating those at nighttime, it'll help with your sleep cycle. Now, I have some people and I've done it myself to where I've done, uh, I've actually progressed to a carnivore diet for a, a short amount of time and I'm able to function as well. But if you're going to uh, pick a time, I think the best time to eat those carbs is in your evening meal like at dinner time, And ideally, we, we always try to get people to stop eating by eight o'clock. The earlier that you stop eating, the better. But again, let's go back to your lifestyle. If I tell you to quit eating at four o'clock and then you go, you're supposed to go out with your friends or your family or, you know, have a family function dinner or, or you know, at night at six or seven o'clock, it just doesn't work. At least try to do the carbs before uh, eight o'clock, at least three hours before you go to bed. And the earlier that you do them in, in the evening time, the better. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I've had meals where, you know, there was a lot of fat in it. And I was just satisfied for, you know, five, six hours. And then mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of a fine line and have some with a lot of fat. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so full. Mm-hmm. And then, but you still like get hungry pretty quickly, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's weird. Yeah. The, the, Any other refinements uh, that you found that make it a lot more effective? I think that the thing that we try to do is uh, get people to get started on the right kinds of foods. So you have to get the right kinds of foods. You have to kind of go through with that draw, go through the keto flu, learn how to treat that with fluids and, you know, with uh, electrolytes and things like that. And then within a couple of weeks, most people uh, that we kind of coach through this are doing really well and they're able to start adding fasting to it. And uh, really, when you start adding fasting and you've got your hormones controlled where you can go and not eat, uh, you know, for an extended amount of time and, you know, you don't have to do like what I do. I do like a couple 24 hour fast every week, but I've been doing it for five years. I don't start people on that. We start with a we call it 12, 12 or 16, eight fast where they're fasting for 12 or 16 hours and eating for 12 or eight hours, depending on how they're doing. And you just start learning to listen to your body. The thing that we tell everybody on our plan is if you are hungry, you are doing this wrong. This is something you should not be hungry on. This is something that you should be able to function and uh, function on a regular basis and not feel hungry or deprived. And a lot of times what happens is after a couple, two or three weeks, people start missing meals because they're just not hungry. They're listening to their body. You know, they're used to eating, you know, say at 11 or 12 o'clock and they are not hungry and they'll go to three o'clock. And then a couple weeks later, you know, they'll go a couple of days a week going to six o'clock. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're fasting, not having any problems. I'm very active. Uh, you know, I fast, like I said, for 24 hours, uh, a couple of days a week and I function normal and I work out every day and I'm still able to do more now than I did 10 years ago. And you're 146, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if someone's going to fast, even for 12 hours, what should be the last thing they eat that will help the fast? Or if they get to do 24 or longer, like, you know, what's the right way to go into a 
fast versus not? What's the right way to come out versus not? Pretty much when you're doing the, when you're going into a fast like that is eating a higher fat meal. Because uh, when you're eating a higher fat meal, uh, you are uh, feeding your body what it needs. So when it doesn't get the food that it needs, it'll start breaking down the fat that, you know, is stored. So eating a high fat meal, for me at this point, when I finish a 24 hour fast, it's not a big deal. Uh, sometimes I'll go, to, uh, you know, uh, 48 hours and it's a little bit more. So I have to be careful how I ease back into it, but eating something bland, nothing that's really going to upset your stomach. Like you, you probably wouldn't want to uh, eat a steak, something like that. But eating like some fish, uh, a piece of salmon, something along those lines that's a little bit lighter on your stomach that your body doesn't have to work to digest as much would probably be the best thing to do. Uh, and maybe a little bit of vegetables with it. But again, not a whole lot to break the fast. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when people come off a of fast, especially one longer than they've ever done, they're want to, you know, just scarf, scarf down all kinds of food. But if you can kind of plan it to where you have you know, a piece of fish and uh, maybe a, a small salad and know in a couple hours you can eat something else if you're still hungry, then usually that will kind of ease your digestive system back into where it needs to go. Yeah, it makes sense. So what was it like for you uh, when you started doing fast? Like, did it amplify the good feelings you had? Oh, and then yes. I want to ask you about carnivore diet after that. But yeah, with yeah. fasting, what did it do for you? Yeah, the fasting really, it, it's kind of like it just takes it up to another level. Uh, again, it goes back to your hormones, uh, the insulin, you know, the thing that, ins that uh, stimulates insulin, it mostly is carbs and protein. Well, obviously we're not doing a lot of carbs on a ketogenic diet, but we're ha still having protein and it stimulates your insulin some. And then when you go to a, a place where you're not eating anything, you're not stimulating insulin at all, uh, then you get the long-term effects. There's something called autophagy. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that before. Uh, yeah, but it's yeah, your, your body's, your cells are kind of cleaning out themselves. And, uh, when you go uh, for an extended type fast, like 24 to 48 hours or plus, then you really kick into the autophagy and you get the long-term effects of reducing chronic disease. Uh, that's what they're studying right now. And that's what, uh, evidence looks like. So when you're doing that fasting, you know, a lot of times what, what people don't realize is they have surges of this uh, hunger hormone called ghrelin. And it's usually, you know, it's cyclical, meaning that you usually eat the same time every day. So when you eat uh, at 12, numbers to say 12 and six, you know, your body's used to having that food there. And you may feel a little bit hungry if you go through that the first time. But what you will realize is if you don't eat and in 30 minutes, that hunger pain goes away because your hunger hormone decreases. Your hunger hormone doesn't increase, 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 increase until you feed it. It goes up and down just like any other hormone. So if you really, if you know that in the back of your head, like, hey, it's 12 o'clock, I feel a little hungry. Hey, if I go to 1230, I'm probably not going to be hungry. And then that usually can get through that. And then what I found personally is when I do an extended fast more than 24 hours, at that 24-hour mark, I may feel a little bit hungry. But I know if I if I don't eat in, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, I'm not going to be hungry anymore. And making it to the next day is so easy. It, it just kind of blows your mind until you've done it. But you do not want, you know, I don't want anybody here that's never fasted before just to jump in and start doing that. Because it's, you kind of have to prepare your body for it by feeding it the right things. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but again, what did you notice? You said it was the next level, but what does that mean? More energy. Uh, I slept better uh, as far as like short-term things. You know, I noticed uh, more weight loss, especially not feeling as bloated. So when I'm putting on uh, certain pants or, you know, whatever it may be, I feel less bloated. Um, I actually, my workouts, I work out every morning at like six in the morning and my workouts got better uh, when I passed. Uh, so when I do a 24 hour fast, you know, I, I work out in the middle of that and my energy level is just where it was or even more than it was before. But it's one of those things when you're doing the fasting, I call it a therapeutic fast because we're not just fasting just to fast. We're not fasting. We do it for spiritual reasons, me and my wife, because we pray about certain things. But also with uh, fasting, we call it therapeutic because we are actually, we know what's happening inside our body and the positive results that we're going to get, not now, but just long-term for the chronic inflammation. And then uh, what about carnivore diet? What did you do there? How did you do it? And what did you feel from it? A carnivore is fine. Somebody can do a carnivore diet, but they have to know what they're doing to get the carnivore diet. So many people want to do a carnivore diet and just eat like chicken breast and ribeye steak. And that's fine. You can eat those things. But if you're not eating what we call nose to tail, then you're going to miss out on some of the amino acids and uh, um, certain fats that you need in your body uh, to function. So when we say nose to tell, that means eating organ meat like liver. Uh, liver is probably one of the best things you can eat. I don't like it personally. Therefore, I don't do the carnivore long term. I use it uh, as a therapeutic sometimes to uh, feel better uh, and to uh, get some of the long term effects from a carnivore. But if you're doing carnivore, if you eat the liver, uh, you're getting the, the bones and you're boiling them and drinking uh, the broth from it because uh, you get a lot of certain amino acids with that. Uh, if you're doing those type of things, you can do a carnivore diet. Personally, it's a lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle that I want to live for the rest of my life. I can use it every now and then, and I do, but I like a salad. Uh, I like eating some greens sometimes. So for me personally, again, it goes back to your lifestyle. That's not something that I know that I want to do the rest of my life. If you come and ask me a couple of years from now, I may be doing carnivore. I don't know. But right now, I don't use that on a regular basis just because I like the other foods that I can eat on a ketogenic diet and get results as well. Yeah. I mean, again, did you so you were on it? What did you feel? Was it, again, a step up for you or was it just not really any different from what you were used to? You know, I felt probably less bloated because some of the vegetables that you can eat can kind of bloat, bloat you, like when you're eating salad and things like that. The feeling of the difference, there wasn't a whole lot as far as my energy level, as far as the uh, sleeping, uh, my workouts, those type of things. Uh, probably the best thing is when you're doing a carnivore diet, and I use this a lot. We mentioned earlier on my females and perimenopausal and postmenopausal. I use a carnivore diet a lot in the first couple of weeks uh, because I really take their carbs down. And uh, so I use it more in a, a therapeutic range uh, or therapeutic targets rather than, you know, just doing carnivore for the rest of my life. Because what I found is most people, you know, don't want to do it the rest of their life. I felt just as well doing the keto, but I just miss—I just missed doing the vegetables. So I felt about the same, but uh, you know, just my lifestyle. I just wanted to have those in my diet. Okay, well, very good. So, w- what kind of programs do you offer? You mentioned like an academy. 
you know, for listeners, where can they go first of all to find your podcast? And then what kind of programs do you have going? Our podcast is called Our Ketogenic Life. And it's the same thing as our website and our Facebook. It's uh, O-U-R uh, Ketogenic Life, Our Ketogenic Life. And uh, we have a program now and it's called a 10pounddown.com. Uh, it's a challenge that we have. And uh, you can look on our website. It's uh, com. But we have a, a program. It's called a 10 pound down. And what I do is uh, take people through the first month of doing a ketogenic diet uh, with, uh, you know, diet plans, meal plans, those type of things. And we get a Facebook page that people can ask questions. But the most important thing is they get videos from me explaining why we do what we do. Because a lot of times if people know what we're doing, then uh, it's a lot easier for them to continue. Uh, the other thing that we can offer people is we do individualized coaching. And uh, that's on our website as well uh, under work with us. And it's really for those people who really want to go more in depth uh, and more access to us to be able to get the results that they want. Uh, a lot of people can start off and do really well just by changing their diet. But sometimes after a while, people get a stall. They get, uh, feel they're not getting the results that they want to get. And uh, you have to look at other things that may be affecting the weight issue with uh, stress, like with cortisol, with uh, sleep and uh, different types of exercises that you can do. So there's, there, you just go to our website, you can look there, but we, you know, on our podcast, we, we talk about a lot of things that we just do personally. And we explain a lot on our podcast and they can go back and get a lot of information just from the podcast. Very good. Any other um, advice or insights for people that, that you know, want to do this type of thing? Yeah, I would really encourage people. They may be wanting uh, to have weight loss, but the ketogenic diet is something that can benefit them long term. And if any of your listeners really don't need to lose weight, you know, and they're thinking they don't need this, look at the long term uh, chronic disease uh conditions that the ketogenic can help prevent. And the sooner that they start taking control of their health now, the better off they're going to be, you know, five, 20, uh, 25 years from now. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, Kevin, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. I thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.